Welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and, well, a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbin, and today we welcome back Matt Sacconi, the CEO and founder of Moxie Manhattan, to continue to talk about what reps do, the value they bring, and honestly, how they help you price things, how they help budget stuff up, and how there really is some intrinsic value in there that might cost you just a little bit more, but it's worth it. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Sam, thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's good to actually still be in Manhattan, in New York City. It's still a sunset podcast. It's a really long sunset this time of year. It's like a four-hour sunset. We might have like an hour and a half left. (laughs) Oh, that's gold glass on the building. That's not the sunset. Man, you guys got some cool architecture in the city. Do you ever just like walk around Manhattan staring up and looking at all the buildings or like stopping every street corner? It's remarkable how often still I might be somewhere I haven't been in the city before and I'll just pause and look around and go, where did all these buildings come from? I've never seen this building before. I think there's something like 47,000 structures in Manhattan alone. 47,000? Yeah. Wait, that's like, how many street blocks are there? Matt, I just Googled it. It says there are 1 million buildings in New York City. So that's probably more than just Manhattan. Yeah. So I'll give you, we'll go between- $1, 40, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go between 47,000 and 1 million buildings. Speaking of buildings, they all need lights. And you've made a profession and a business out of helping people connect the dots, understanding what it is manufacturers do best, which is manufacture their products, understand the intricate details, how you can modify things, and also relaying that information along with what things cost. And that's one of the most valuable tools in a job because there's a budget. And sometimes things go over budget, which opens up Pandora's box. Substitutions, maybe the pricing isn't where it should be. But what I want to talk to you about is the value of a one name spec and how it might actually help mitigate a lot of that. What do you know about walking in and helping somebody understand what the price is and making sure it ends up where it needs to be on a job? What we know about price obviously has a lot of different layers. And when designer comes to us and asks us to budget a job, I think a high majority of them are educated enough to know kind of the structure of that job itself and what to do with that information in terms of their overall budgets. But there's cost to product that's, I guess, transparent and not transparent. And one of the fundamental things as an agency that I think we need to do with our design community and our design partners is to make sure that all those costs are understood when a job is budgeted and to make sure that those costs stay in line when a job goes out to bid. And so when we're looking at single name specifications, there's two sides to the coin. There's the side where people are going to look at that and go, that's going to create a ton of additional pricing where if actually handled right with the right partners, that type of specification is going to allow us to actually keep pricing within the budgeted range and make sure that a project goes through as designed. I suppose before we get into that, we should probably define what a single name specification is. Walk me through that. Yeah, so traditionally I would say a single name specification is for each line item, for each type of product on a job that a designer uses that like a downlight a downlight wall washer yeah so i mean it's important to say that a job might actually have 12 different types of downlights you just stated downlight versus wall washer right you might have an accent light a spotlight some hidden hole lights in some ways the amount of tools that a designer has now 
versus 10 years ago and 20 years ago is remarkable. And if used correctly, it allows them to really create space and continue to push space in a way that they couldn't when all they had was a six inch 32 watt PLT downlight. So they've got all these variety of products, but when they're writing a specification and they're writing in, a, in what we would call a single name specification, they're writing it around one very specific manufacturer's product. And they're working out all the details in some ways that have to go into making sure that that product and that design is bought and utilized right. One thing that I always like to observe is no two buildings are ever the same. No, they can't be. Well, I mean, they can be. Walgre- <laughs> Wal- Wal- Walgreens does a pretty good job, yeah. but even the door might be in the southeast versus the southwest corner. You Correct. could argue the whole building's oriented, but that could change solar and thermal heat gains. Anyways, I digress. No yeah. two buildings are the same. No two opinions, projects, really light fixtures are the same. And there's an argument that goes both ways. Two downlights that put light on a table through a six-inch aperture. There's an argument to justify, for lack of a better term, they're doing the same thing. But physically speaking, there's some small difference that it's different. Maybe it's the number of screws. Maybe it's the driver that it uses. Maybe it's the thickness of the flange on the trim and whatnot. But there's a lot that goes into building and design. And designers spend a lot of time getting that right. So when they write a single name specification, like you said, that can become very important. I mean, it is at the end of the day, right, a part of their design process and a part of all the little small decisions that make a space what it is. I and mean, it's the culmination of yep. really all their hard work. Yeah. And so like any space, you start changing all these small details. Like you said, it's not the same space anymore. When I think about single name specification now, actually in some ways different than just five years ago, where there was a lot of new product on the market and maybe not as nearly as much education about cost of product, And manufacturers and what happens in capitalism had the ability to create some arbitrage in the marketplace in a way that's a lot more difficult now. I would say it's not impossible, but it's hard pressed to charge 200% market rate for a product that only has one or two marginal differences. But those marginal differences are important to the project. So in some ways, I think it's actually easier for designers to write single name specifications now than it might have been five years ago and really fight for those decisions that they've made and they've tested and they've mocked up. When you hire an architect, a lighting designer, et cetera, you're paying for them to care about those details. So for us as an agent, we want to be very transparent about all the little decisions that they make in a product and what they cost and why, right? Hey, you want to add this honeycomb louver? It's five. It's not $50. It's never $50. It's a little piece of plastic, right? Those are the type of conversations we have. I think that on our end, it can keep the process actually simpler and allow projects to go forward smoothly. And it can prevent a lot of the hidden costs from occurring. Everybody knows what happens when a project basically gets redesigned because nobody follows the specification. And that costs money. The materials might be cheaper, but everything else adds up. And all of a sudden, maybe it's not cheaper. There's an element of where the money goes. And if you look at the client, the client's everyone's client, from the architect to the designer to every single tradesman involved in the job, the client is ultimately paying for all of that work. So to take a single name specification and price it, there's going to be a dollar value associated with that. And there's a notion that there may be something out there that does the same thing that's cheaper. But in order to do that, what happens? People get involved, things change, time is spent. That all costs money too. And what's interesting is if you look at the client, the building owner, they're paying for it one way or another. 
I can't say there aren't projects that I have worked on or are currently working on where we get the phone call and it's, you know, the project is X amount of dollars over budget. But that to me is rarely a failure on the design side. I have a particular project right now that is essentially 30% over budget as a project as a whole. So if you think about that in terms of a $10 million project, that means they have to figure out how to remove $3 million. And this. you're talking total project. Total budget, project, Not right? just the but, lighting. The whole but thing. as any lighting person knows, that comes to you in your doorstep very quickly. Absolutely. <laughs> and the time and headaches that come into is things get changed, right? The mistakes that get made. I mean, designers and ourselves, I think we spend a lot of time when something's picked out to make sure that it's going to work up front. Like there's so much information in a product, not just the CRI, not just the distribution of the chip, not just whether or not the reflector is made out of die cast or plastic or where it comes from. There's all these layers of information across a product for why a designer chooses it. And it's almost impossible unless you just provide that exact same product for somebody removed from that process to know what was important. It might all be important. Maybe it was picked for one or two specific things, but it's not necessarily like those two things are highlighted. Like, hey, the most important part of this product is that it fits in a two-inch thick ceiling. So as those changes get made, those things that people don't know that they don't know get missed, and you end up with stuff on site that doesn't work. And there's a lot of finger pointing, et cetera. So yeah, there's a cost associated to a single name specification. And maybe it's a little bit more of an upfront cost. But if it works correctly, the idea is that it prevents a lot of that backend cost that gets incurred. There's a saying, you get what you pay for. And I think people have heard that in many respects and walks of life. But when it comes to a single name specification, there's something that maybe is obvious, but not so obvious. As an agency, as a representative, you're working with specifiers to understand what it is they need to help them become more efficient at their job so that their billable hours are used for what it is they're best at, designing, not sifting through the Encyclopedia Britannica. You are there, you're the Encyclopedia Britannica, you have this opportunity, this knowledge base, and you bring that value to the table, but there is one revenue stream. And that is when a product is sold and you don't get paid unless that gets ordered. So when it gets ordered, you guys, you do have to collect a commission on that. And that's only fair. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to get paid for their time. And I think there's a question about that. Maybe the country as a whole is asking about It's like, what is someone's time ultimately worth across a lot of different platforms? And people are trying to maximize what they get paid for their time. But you also have to do it within reason, right? I can't exist as a company if you specify my product and I turn around and I charge five times what it's supposed to cost for it. It just, A, like, it, I think when I said this before in today's world, like you can't charge $1,000 for a downlight in the way that in some ways people might have tried to do six or seven years ago when they felt like they had the only 5,000 lumen downlight. And that's really talking technology and what yeah. LED... And, it is fast-paced innovation that our industry saw from really 2010 to probably 2016, 2017. Like, I know I can talk to you about this. Like, I know what an SP20 MV switch pack costs because there was a market rate for that. I know what a 32 watt T8 fluorescent lamp costs, whether it was from GE or Philips or Sylvania. I knew the 25 cent difference if I had to go get one that was 90 CRI, et cetera. Absolutely. I knew what it cost to get something with a slightly different ballast factor. There's a lot of standardization, I think, in the marketplace about that now, right? I mean, we can talk about, we can get into detail about slot light and price per linear foot, et cetera. There's a lot of knowledge in a good way about that. 
And so I think in a lot of ways, what we're talking about now that might be different than the way people viewed pricing five years ago is like what it means to pay an additional $10 per foot to make sure that that flange detail is correct, to make sure that the depth of that product is correct, to have all those questions asked, to understand how it's going to integrate with the Lutron system. The value add in that, right, having that all done up front and how seamless that actually makes the approval process, the delivery process, like it's, it should be worth something. In the market, it's going to push and pull a little bit on where that number is. And as an agency, we kind of have to pay attention to that. But yeah, I mean, we definitely see the the value in that. And in some ways, we have to figure out what we can charge for it. Yeah. And when you say figure out what you can charge for it, that's a trivial statement to you, but I'm, I'm going to make you clarify that. Yeah. There's a price book and it says it has to be sold for this you have an opportunity to sell it for more potentially than what the price book says. But that isn't necessarily just related to what you can get for it. It's what you've done to help get it to the project to ultimately deliver a solution to the owner that adds value to their space. Yes. Everybody has a different view on how they price things and why. In some ways, it's difficult to price things. This is a challenge as a rep. It's difficult to price things based on the work you've done because of how we get paid in the process because we get as you said we get paid once a light fixture has been ordered and delivered and whatever happened before that most of the channel isn't necessarily privy to they don't know if i spent two minutes or if i spent 40 hours and seven samples to get six products onto a job or 100 products that process my designer knows that if i worked with them on it but once we get to that point that's not necessarily something that is easy to pass through. But when we look at the scope of a job and we look at a linear light fixture and we go, okay, our base cost is $50 a linear foot or $80 a linear foot or whatever the number is, they might be configurations. That might be a project that's phased over two years in different processes, right? That might be, frankly, a contractor that's not great at what they do. There's a variety of things that go into that. And actually, as an agency, this kind of ties back to something we talked about single name specifications. Depending on the project and the timing and the phasing and stuff, we do like to ask these questions because we think it allows us to potentially budget things better to a designer. I don't. I know they don't always know the answer to those things, but often it's a really important question because shipping everything all at once versus shipping it three times is something that matters to me in terms of how much time is going to go into managing that work. It's a tough part of the industry. I think we could talk about pricing in a lot of different layers for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think, you know, what it comes down to is what's the value that's being added? What are the market conditions? And what is the criteria moving forward in terms of getting at the job site and how that product's going to live and breathe in the space? I tell you what, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, We'll dive in a little bit more about how single name specifications really can be the right solution, but everybody has to be on board for it. Sound good? Sounds great. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, the Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you fun content that's easy to digest, kind of like this podcast and short two-minute videos. Check them out on YouTube or visit their website at www.lydei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Matt and I were just catching up a little bit more about how lighting and drywall, well, they're not the same thing. 
A four by eight sheet of gypsum that's five eighths of an inch thick has a price, but lighting is much more complicated than that. Matt, walk me through why lighting is more complicated than drywall. So I appreciate the time we kind of got to spend in between the break because this conversation is just so layered and I know we won't get it perfectly right. But it's a place to start. Yeah. And it's definitely something that hopefully we can all continue to talk about. Yeah. I'm sure drywall comes in different thicknesses, et cetera, right? But for the most part, you can go online and look at what the square foot price of a piece of drywall should cost. You can cut it on site to fit what you need. Usually there's probably one, maybe two types of gypsum in a project. So yeah, I mean, I, just like anything people buy material wise, there are certain characteristics that we're going to look for, but it's a singular product. Whereas lighting is rarely ever a single product, a single parameter that people are picking out. And so those layers create a lot of challenges in determining what something should be worth. And let's face it, how many owners know all the details of the fact they want a flat wall like drywall versus lighting and everything that goes into it? So commercially viable LED started what, in 2010 even? Yep. I think my- I think 2010. My, I think my dad did can LED canopy lights from a Philips company for an airport in 2010. Still there. I remember seeing Lothonia lighting. The QD brands come out with a RT5, which was a two T5HO proffer, two by four, and they made an LED version of it. And it was like $650. Yeah. So obviously that's changed tremendously. The cost of that product has changed tremendously. But how many people, even in construction, understand the difference between a lamp and an integrated LED 10 years later? You know, we have people who come I into our- I could not answer that question <laughs> for you. We have people that come into our space, right, to look at product. And the first thing I have to think about is, do I even want to attempt to explain that? Like that's an optionality. And why do you want to think about that? I mean, is it a loaded question? Is it a waste of your time? Yeah, but it, it lends itself to the challenges for everybody in this industry to how to explain value. We see value one way. The person spending the money most likely sees it a totally different way. And in some ways, that's why designers in this side of the industry, I think, is so important because it's not a skill set you can Google. It really isn't. And so there's an importance to defending that skill set and learning and figuring out how to explain to people why it's important to have that on a project. But it also is what makes it really, really challenging. I had a project recently where somebody, the way they talked, I thought they really wanted to do something cool and I got out there and their idea cool was a $5 LED J-Box mount panel. And anything over that seemed like an exorbitant use of money. I could sit there and explain luminance levels, brightness, glare, contrast, color temperature, CR. I could try to explain all those things, but to them it was as simple as, hey man, I can light my space with these $10 things that say they're gonna last for 20 50, years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. So you bring up a good point, right? The industry is dealing with someone, something that's not theirs, the money. The money everybody is involved in, but it's not theirs at the end of the day. How does that play into all of this? Yeah, so obviously every layer in the business is a business, right? And it has to run a business, it has to pay its people, it has to pay its bills, it has to be profitable, it has to convince people to write them checks. That it ultimately does become their money, but so many of the projects that we work on, I think that in some ways we'd be better off maybe if we all kind of reminded ourselves that there's an institution or a non-for-profit or just an owner of a residence. There's somebody who is footing this bill. 
they are spending this money so that this product can get bought, it can get installed, it can get built, not just in lighting, right, but across the entire project. So particularly in lighting, I think based on, you know, the 10 years I've had, I can say that often it's remarkable, I think, how often that's forgotten, that it's an owner's money. And if people maybe thought of it from that direction and if they were that owner and they started to make decisions based on that, you might see better outcomes. It's not that there aren't great outcomes. There are great teams that produce great outcomes in this industry. But there are also situations where I think that piece is often forgotten. And it's a lot of what leads to some of the issues, particularly in pricing in the market. You mentioned the team. The team is super important. Team is maybe easy to establish. Sometimes it's more difficult to establish. You've got to get a lot of people on the same page so that they understand what it is they are trying to do. And what's unique is each person has a different role. Somebody's installing it, somebody's bidding it, somebody's designing it, somebody's pricing it. Somebody's coordinating all of that. <laughs> yeah. And then let's not forget, it all has to be controlled by code. You can't move into the space without that. So who's picking up that too? There's so many things that get attached to a luminaire, which ultimately can, people may say, inflate the price of a light. But the answer is a light just isn't a light. It goes a lot further than that. Whose responsibility is it to keep everybody honest as as everybody kind of gets involved in this process? You know, like anything probably kind of starts from the top and works its way down. So with any project, you have to look at who that CM is, who really is the owner's rep, who's running that job and the type of standards around their project that they set and how that trickles down through the grades and ultimately into our neck of the woods. It's interesting, we started this all out in our first episode talking about information and the rep is a vehicle for information for people. I think that the lighting industry tends to want to shelter information or covet information. I would say that, yeah, it's more often on my side of the equation than it is, let's say, on the design side. But, you know, we have channels and in some ways they exist for a reason and they should be honored and other times there are a barrier to success. And the good teams, I think, really understand when those certain channels should be a circle instead of a line and when they should be a line. And so sometimes I think even particularly with price, the exposure of price in some ways in the right way probably should happen more frequently than it does. You said exposure of price. I've got to back you up. That might indicate pricing isn't exposed. Anybody can get a price on anything, right? And like anything in the world, whether or not you think that price is fair is based on your experience, right? I mm -hmm. mean, there's nothing in the United States, at least, that says certain things have to cost certain things. We live in a world where you put a value to something, you put it out there, and people either decide they want it or they don't. The lighting, that's always obviously not necessarily the case because the owner can be so far removed from that conversation and how many owners, like we said, actually maybe know anything about lighting and how it's valued or why. That's why the design is so important. But often there's this concern about how pricing gets shared, who it gets shared with, how it gets pushed across the channels. You know, there could be a lot of benefit in some ways, even on my end. It actually, you know, I take this view that would make my life a lot simpler if I could just go, hey, man, that thing's $200 to everybody. That's what it costs. You mark it up as you see fit. But like, I, that's my price. The contractor can know it. The lighting designer can know it. The distributor can know it. But the reality is there's so much that goes into a luminaire. Yep. I mean, no two buildings are the same. Everything is custom. No two opinions are the same. No two needs, no two spaces are the same. So everything has to be able to adapt. And manufacturers are tasked with a big, big challenge 
of trying to create one thing that actually in reality can do so many things, which so, lends itself to pricing flexibility, which sets an immediate need for somebody to have access to all that information. Yeah. But why isn't that information published on the internet? Actually, more often than not, it not being as some people might not agree with this, but I think it is probably a good thing because so often, like if you're buying, well, let's take this back to drywall. You're buying drywall, right? You look at a plan and you go, all right, I need 100,000 square feet of drywall for this project, right? I know it comes in these size sheets. If I'm short a sheet or two, whatever, I'll get it at the end of the job. If I got some left over, unfortunately, I'll probably throw it out or stick it in storage. There are certain pieces of lighting equipment that are singular line item purchases, right? Like it's uh, eight letter skew. It is what it is. It should work 90% of the time. But as design expands and product expands and technology expands, pricing things isn't that simple from freight allowances to how it's broken up to drivers, et cetera. So a lot of LED, right, is low wattage. And so we've seen more and more of this class two type product where I can run 14 or 20 or 50 or something off a single power supply. But that's also dictated by the circuits on the drawing. And that's going to move and change and shift as an architect decides to change a room and tries to change this layout and does this. So, yeah, I mean, flexibility has to be there because it's not as simple sometimes as just saying, I need a little less. Because a little less might not be a little less. It might mean I still need some of these other things. It might mean that I can get rid of this, but not necessarily a little bit of that, right? There's a variety of things that go into that product. You might have a configuration. Hey, I, I want to go from a 90-degree corner to a 37-degree corner. Well, that actually just got more expensive because it takes more time to build. And it There's a lot that goes into luminaires. And like you said, things can go up and down. One different variable can affect the price. If the price sheet was published, people could just look it up, right? Yeah, and I think the industry is actually starting to do a good job of weeding out, not weeding out, but separating what can and can't be in some ways published. You know, we represent some decorative brands that have online list pricing, like the chair you're sitting in, right? And there is a commercial network for that with discounting, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the risk to what somebody buys from that product in terms of mistake is pretty minimal. Like we jokingly say it mounts to a J box and you screw in a lamp. And if you don't like the color of that lamp, you can go to Home Depot and get a different one. When it comes to commercial product and particularly these higher end projects that we're working on, where it's not as simple as it mounts to a J box and it comes with a 10 foot cord and it's going to work 99% of the time if nobody looks at this, that's a very different product. It's a different product for the designer, right? And the time spent into that, looking at a cove detail, figuring out how that cove is finally going to get built and what can actually fit in there, right? And like knowing that like it can't be more than 0.7 inches wide. And they need help understanding all of that. Yeah. So they would have to call somebody and they would have to get all that information and understanding how to relay all that information through a massive network is, is a bit difficult. And that's one of the most tremendous things that you as a rep can do. 100%. We just had a project recently. A perfect example is this is put together pricing and a supplier came back that was smart enough to know that said, hey, I know that you unipriced all this, but this is actually three different buildings and they might not do all three. How does that affect my pricing and my freight and how this is broken out? Well, that's good to know because it does. Because if you just take this piece, actually, you're going to have to pay for freight. <laughs> but if you take all these pieces, then technically, you know, you meet like a freight allowance, et cetera. And if I have to ship this three different times, that's different, right? And so also, if you don't take this building, that's 80% of the job. I actually can't use the quantity break that I used in the pricing that I gave you originally to try to give you the best price out of the gate. So there's all these little things that add up that change pricing. What I will say, though, is more often than not, it's not a huge marginal change, 
But we also know that we live in a world that in some ways, once given somebody a number, it's really hard to go up. Yeah. So, absolutely. yeah. Um, so if we take it all back, you know, a single name spec, what does it do? It gives you a, a part number. It gives you a tangible thing to price. And so long as that can be transparent and that can be shared and the team is on board, it has the opportunity to really create a successful project. Yeah. You know, and often like we're asked to price stuff four hours before they need it. So in some ways, (laughs) I mean, let's just talk about why four hours isn't enough time either, because in the Amazon world of things, why should it takes, you know? Yeah. So again, going back to this being a technical product and us being at least in my philosophy, the representative of that product, like I'm going to pull drawings. I'm going to look at how that job is designed. Now, if it's a single name specification and one that we worked on, the odds are I already did that. And my life is a lot easier and there's a lot less work that goes into the back end in terms of coordination because I've already done most of it up front. And you know what the price is. Yeah. Because there's teamwork and there's an opportunity involved to create something awesome. But if it's something different than that, and it's something we get and it's someone coming to us and we're looking at it and going, you know, nobody realistically can do this in four hours. I'm going to do what anybody would do on anything, whether it's on the design side or the build side, which is I do have to protect myself a little bit. And so margins worked in in a different way. Margins worked in in that like, hey, I don't have 24 hours to go through this whole set of drawings. And I know that if I'm short 50 linear feet, right? Like I don't want to give that away. So there's definitely a lot of advantages if everybody is open to doing things right. But as we talked about, that has to come from the top down. That has to be a directive that's instilled from the beginning of the project. And sometimes I think the entire team has a choice over that. And maybe sometimes they don't. Well, when there's a project that has the opportunity to be driven from the top down, when there's a clear directive and clear narrative, it always leads to a better project, including what slings are selected, what can be designed and really what the end result is. Matt, we could continue to probably just talk about construction in general and how there's a lot of stuff that's still just kind of hard to figure out today. But I really appreciate you chatting with me a little bit about what it has meant to collaborate as a team and how that can add value to a project and what that does to really support the owner's intent in the space that those people will walk, live and feel and breathe. Or maybe it is an exterior plaza too. I think the sunset is actually about to start. So we're going to wrap this up. It's been great to be here, Matt. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Sam. Hey, real quick, though, I got one more question. How can people get a hold of you if they have any thoughts or they want to catch up with you? So telepathy tends to work well. But if that's not your cup of tea, I say you can check us out at moxielighting.com. We've got a cool little team page where you can read about actually everybody that works at the company, not just myself. And you'll get a feel for who we are and what we do. Awesome. Thanks again, Matt. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. If you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor. Head back to the platform that you listen to and click like or subscribe. That's the best way to never miss an episode of The Light Pod, where we interview people who are all things lighting, building technology, curious about the future, and honestly, just have fun stories to tell. Until then, see ya.